Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there's something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. With meals like the sweet and smoky pork tenderloin, you're definitely going to have a crowd favorite. Go to our link in our show notes to get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. Welcome, I'm Lori Lee Binstock, host of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and according to a German study, about 80% of women diagnosed with early stage disease had symptoms of PTSD between the time they were diagnosed and the start of treatment. My guest today is Rosie Mankus, a life coach and author of Find Your Joy and Run With It. It's a heartwarming memoir about overcoming her second battle with cancer. Rosie, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Well, you have endured two cancer diagnoses, lung and breast. As a survivor, did you experience PTSD symptoms from either or, or both? You know, I, both of my cancers were found in early stages. Um, but I will say that having um, your, best, your breast removed is very, very personal as opposed to a part of your lung. Not to say that lung cancer is not significant. Of course it is, but having my breast removed um, caused a lot of anxiety, a lot of PS, uh, PTSD, and um, a lot of um, things happened that year besides uh, the breast cancer. And uh, it was a very, very hard year for me. What type of symptoms did you experience with PTSD? So it's funny that uh, today is actually six years to the day that I actually had um, a mammogram that was suspicious. And um, my cancer was a stage zero breast cancer, which if you're going to have breast cancer, stage zero is the, um, the best one to have. Um, I also tested positive for breast cancer gene, not BRCA, but another one called CHECK2 that was uh, indi indicative that I was more than 50% likely to have an invasive stage breast cancer had I not had the mastectomy. But um, getting back to your question, so after I had the mastectomy, um, one of the hardest things was looking down in the mirror and seeing that you know the breasts were not there. Um, I was really, really um, just so broken by it. I um, had social anxiety. Um, I was afraid to go and see people that I hadn't seen since before my surgery because my experience and maybe not perhaps others was that when I would see people afterwards, they, some of them, not all of them would look down at my breasts first before looking in my eyes. And it made me feel uncomfortable, different and change. And also some of the people that I would see after the mastectomy, instead of saying, how are you? They'd say, I heard what happened. 
So the way that I worked through that was if I knew I was going to be with people that I hadn't seen in a while, I would actually rehearse my encounter with them. I would visualize my, their, their faces because obviously I knew who they were, visualize what they might say, and then rehearse like what my response would be. So they kind of took like the helium out of the balloon or the, the uh, you know, the gas out of a, you know, a chamber and kind of made it easier for me to power through these encounters. Well, you, you said it was stage zero. Um, was that because you were doing um, just regular testing or was there something that made you want to get a mammogram where you said something's not right? So I was going through yearly screening, which is um, recommended for women that are over 50. And every year, my friends and I would we'd make a day, day of it. We'd go to get our mammograms and we used to go in Montclair, New Jersey. And then we'd go out to lunch. So it was a thing, we, you know, and then other friends would join us. And just because it was, it was always in September, it was always a lovely day. Um, and then that day, as many days, I, I was called back in for more screening. I had breasts that were very dense and had um, cystic and, and whatnot. So for me, it was just like, well, okay, you know, this is just what happens to me. And that day, the doctor pointed out um, six dots on the mammogram. They were in like an arc. It was kind of looked like the Orion's belt, if you look at a constellation in the sky. And she said, these are calcifications. Not really worried about them, 80, 20 against cancer but I think we should do some biopsies. And I was like, okay, because you know, this is my breast for cystic and this is what happened. And it turned out that it was the early stage cancer. Um, and at the beginning, I, we, the recommendation was we would just do careful screening uh, every six months. But once I tested positive for, uh, at that time, it was like a newly created screening called CHECK2. And it shared, it shared that I had over a 50% chance of developing an invasive stage cancer. Doctors said, no, you know, we can't take that chance. You need to have a double mastectomy. And I fell apart, literally fell apart because I was really afraid to lose that part of myself. And, you know, you know, this part of it, that's part of your feminine identity, but it's just a very personal, you know, part of your body that to lose. Um, it's the part that you see when you get out of the shower every day. You know, if you have, as I had, I had stage 1A lung cancer and I had 10% of my right lung removed back in 2008. But, you know, and that was a very difficult um, surgery to recover from because they had to um, crack and spread my, my uh, ribs to get there. But it was not as personal in the sense that you know, you, 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 when you, you don't see your lungs, you don't look down at you and see your lungs the way you do your breasts. Wow. You did talk about how you would prepare yourself from, with the, for the anxiety that would come up in seeing people and having them respond and, oh, I heard what happened. Did you seek other support, support groups, therapists? So I did. So. Um, it wasn't, there was three very significant things that happened to me that year. It was September of, uh, of 2015 to, to September of 2016. During that year, not only did I have the breast cancer and the mastectomy and reconstructive surgery, but my mom had to be transitioned into an assisted living facility due to the, to the progression of her dementia. 
And she was very fearful and resistant. And the people, the, the staff at the place said, it was the hardest transition that they had ever seen um, in all their experience. And then I had the, the, the surgery as I shared, but then just when things were starting to settle down, my 58 year old brother died in a horrific accident and I fell apart. And I, um, you know, my friends didn't think I was coming back after my brother's death. And I, um, I, that's when I realized I couldn't do it alone. So I went and I saw a therapist in December of 2016. I, I like limped and crawled into her office and was so broken. And she really helped me to um, get back to, to starting to want to be me again and working on that. And I also, during that time, I, I decided that I wanted to become a life coach because I knew that what I had gone through and I said, if I can figure out as I started to work through my stuff and my building of who I was and who I was before and where I wanted to get back to, and not just to survive, but to thrive and find joy in everyday living. So I started to work on my journey towards that with the therapist and, and also within myself so that then I could help other people that were going through significant adversity and just feeling despondent and despair and working to become emotionally whole again. Wow. It just seemed like that was the year, like what, you know, that saying when it rains, it pours. It really was. Um, and the way uh, my brother died was um, just, he was uh, very active in local theater and he was rehearsing for a play with his castmates. And imagine like you and I are on a stage and let's say you asked me to carry um, the, a, a table off the stage. So you're walking forward with the table and I'm walking backwards and he walked off a three and a half foot stage and backwards and hit his head on the cement and died. In, well, he didn't die instantly. He went this brain dead and then we, he, they put, took him off life support when the family arrived. The whole family went down to South Carolina where he lived to say goodbye and then they took him off life support. So it was just a very traumatic experience. Wow, it sounds like there was just so much that happened that year and in just a very, in very traumatic fashion. Um, were you able, you said you did, you did see, uh, you know, this therapist helped you become whole again. Was there anything in particular that you worked on that you, to work through, or was it, was it talk therapy? Was it just someone you needed to speak to, um, to get through all of this? So, um, she helped me to, um, to really embrace the grief. Um, to write about it, to journal about it, to, if I was angry, to, you know, punch a pillow or scream or just whatever it was that I needed to do. But I, on my own, also needed to um, see if I could define what happy meant again. You know, we, we all talk about blessings, right? So I have a bracelet that I wear. It's called the Blessings Bracelet. I, every morning, it has four beads on it. Every morning, I acknowledge four blessings in my life. But for me to get back to being a, a, a me again and whole, I needed to define what happy meant because I, I was just not happy. I, I, it was just so much anxiety and I was trying to figure that out. So one day I, I sat with my journal and I decided to write down five things that make me happy. And I looked at the page and I couldn't, there wasn't anything, right? So I said, let me take a step back and write five things that used to make me happy. And I came up with this really basic list that like, you know, really simple things like sitting on the couch with the dogs, 
snuggled next to me, feeling their, the warmth of them and, you know, like lighting candles and turning lights to watch them glimmer or drinking my favorite morning beverage, really savoring the, the taste, you know, of a sunrise or sunset. And even just taking a walk around the block because, you know, at that point when I was going through this whole surgical journey that, you know, around the block was the most I could do. But then I was like, well, there's a list of things that used to make me happy. How do I turn them into things that make me happy, right? So I turned them into affirmations and I would say them every day and believe that like I could work on integrating those simple things back into my life. And then I did. And then once I did those five, I worked on another. The other thing I did also was I took a look at things I gave up during that horrible year. And one of the things I gave up is I stopped turning on the radio because I couldn't believe in listening to music and that like I could like connect to the lyrics or sing along because it just was not, you know, I was struggling. But music is so important to me. Like I, I and then I probably needed it more than then than ever before. So I, I worked on integrating music back into my life slowly. Like I said, well, what's the first I could do? Maybe listen to, to songs from when I was a teenager when life was simpler, right? So I put songs by Billy Joel or 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 by um you know, uh, Jim Croce back into my life. And then I was like, well, okay, what about songs that just make you happy? Like this uh, September by Earth, Wind and Fire. You know, and everybody jumps up to dance on the dance floor when that one comes on, right? And then I went for the gusto. I went for the songs where the lyrics really spoke to me, like Let It Be or Drop to Jupiter by tra Train and put them in. And now, you know, music is just a part of my life. When in the morning, when I put my makeup on, music is playing. When I'm cooking, music is playing. So I sing and I dance along, you know? So it was things like that, like looking and examining the things I lost during that year. Also my behavior during that year, like what I didn't like about it and how I could change. So I really took a very, like a real soul searching kind of introspective look at the, where I was there and where I wanted to become. Um, wow. And those are just a couple of things that I did. It's so funny how the most, the simplest things like a sunset or a sunrise can really change your perspective when you're really enjoying those things. Because these things happen every day. We can enjoy them every single day, but we always forget to, mm -hmm. especially when things are hectic, even though those are the times we should be really enjoying it. Agree. Totally agree. I um, wanted to share also that one of the game changes for me was at first I thought, I would never be able to meditate because I have a very busy brain that's always on overdrive. But when I started to get to that deep level of connect connectivity with meditation, it was like, wow, I can't believe how soothing this is. But the, I think the bigger thing was when I found mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And that was like a real game changer for me and, and how I live my life now and how I share with my clients. And when I do speeches, it's, it's just like, this whole thought of how, you know, I used to like worry about the past and plot and plan and scheme the future. And sometimes, you know, the best place to be is where your feet are right then in the moment, right? So I give this example, um, I'll, I'll share with you. So like when I used to go out walking before I started practicing being present in the moment, you know, it was, I, it was, my, it was my me time, right? So it was an hour that it was just me alone walking. And during, before being mindful and present, I'd be like looking at my phone and, you know, answering a text or checking an email or, you know, a lot of busy, busy stuff. And then when I decided, wait, this is my time. Why am I doing that? 
So when I go out now and for the past several years for a walk, my phone goes on, do not disturb. I take, you know, I take it because God forbid there's an accident or whatever. And then I look up at the blue sky and I look at the cloud formations and I watch the sun pierce through the, the, the clouds. And for me, in my spiritual way, I feel like that's our loved ones that are no longer here shining their light down so that we see their presence. And I listen, I listen for the birds chirping and the tree swaying. And I really try to stay with that. And especially one of the gifts that came back to me that I never expected was I started after having been a lung cancer survivor, I started to be able to run again. And I, I'm running with, uh, you know, I, don't, I walk run, but I, I run with like so much mindfulness. I listen to my feet hitting the ground and feeling proud that I actually can do this, you know, after having survived something like the two cancers, actually to be able to be with myself in that moment and running mindfully. So it just feels just like a really, really beautiful gift that was given to me. Um, mindfulness that is and having yeah. it brought to my life. It's, it's funny that you say that because before I, I, I'm a child abuse, um, sexual abuse survivor and, you know, I've always been living in survival mode since I was a child up until last year. And everyone always talks about mindfulness and meditation. And I'm like, I'm too busy for that. My head, I need a thing, you know, when, you know, after you do yoga and exercise, they give you like a few minutes to meditate. And during that time, I was like, I don't have time to just be mindful. I have to think of the list I need to do for that day. Right. And, but when I went into treatment, it just blew my mind how different my life was when I actually paid attention to everything that was around me instead of being in my head the entire time. So I completely agree with you there. Um, you know, you wrote this book, find your joy and run with it. What made you want to write this book? So I was, um, you know, in this space trying to figure out how to heal. And I um, would journal. And I, I was lucky that I was introduced to journaling because it really became the framework of the book. But the story that's interesting is that um, this in my career, I um, interfaced with some producers and whatever. Um, and this guy, um, producer friend of mine called to ask me to make an introduction to somebody at a company. And I said, sure. And I, he said, what's going on with you? And I shared what had happened to me. And he said, wow, what a story. You know, I, I think you should write this. I think you should write a book. So we kind of dared me to do it. And I did it. And um, he uh, was like, this is great. He's like, he read it. He's like, wow, what a, what a job you've done. So, you know, the book, um, when I, it's about that journey. It's about how those significantly difficult things happen to me. But the focus is how do you find your joy? How do you find your joy and get back? And, and in through the book, I share these kind of, they're kind of like um, life coach lessons. Um, and at the end of the chapters, there's, there's things that, that I share. Um, and people have strangers, of course, have said to me that they've taken what I shared in the book and implemented it and put it into their life. Um, and it's helped them through difficult things in their lives. And I was like, wow, I, you know, oh, I wrote this to be cathartic, right? I, I mean, I thought it was just going to be something for me. But then when people started to share how it helped them, I, I said, wow, I, I think I 
did something that I didn't expect to do, you know? <laughs> and it was just, wow. I was just amazed by the feedback I was getting. Um, mostly people will say that they sat down thinking on that rainy day, I was going to read a couple chapters and then go clean out my closet and they read the whole thing through. And that was another amazing thing. I said, wow, you know, that was amazing to me. So, you know, so here we are I sh sharing my story so that I can somehow, um, however, I, I was able to get through it and process it to help others that might feel that they are in need or on it, or they're on a, uh, you know, an earlier part of their journey that I can maybe help them to make their way through. And I can assume that that's why you became a life coach, just figuring out like, this is what I've been through. And I went through it and I came out the other side. Um, what yes. kind of, what is this life coaching that you're doing? Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? So, yeah, so my, um, the space that I like to stay in the most is when people are diagnosed with uh, cancer and more, more specifically breast cancer. I remember myself at that beginning stages that the best thing that happened to me was when women that had been maybe a couple of years out uh, were willing to have a conversation with me. And I actually just recently found out that somebody um, um, just was diagnosed and, you know, she's very fearful and she's crying and she wants, you know, to work with me through the whole, the whole process. So that's the place where I, I really genuinely feel that I, I give uh, value. And when I started to do that with people, um, that's when I started to heal. You know, I think it's when, when you start to heal is when you help others, right? You know, when you can help right. others in some way. Um, to uh, make it through a difficult journey. Wow. What message do you have for others who have been diagnosed with cancer or other diseases? You know, I, I would say that it's going to take time. You know, you, you need to be kind to yourself. You need, there's a lot of self-care that's involved in it. I do say that if, that if you feel that you need help, you should seek out professional help, whatever that looks like to you. It could be a life coach, it could be a therapist. Um, and that um, just uh, really to um, be with yourself when you're you know, sad, you need to journal or whatever you might need to do. And um, don't do it alone. You know, whoever your people are, rely on your people. I had very good people. I happen to have a very good support system of friends. I have a, my husband and, and my children. So be with your people and tell them what's going on. Um, I would also say for myself, one of the things that I wish I knew back then that I, that I now know is that if this is your personal journey and you don't want it to be shared, to make sure that you tell your people that this is personal because I had an experience where I shared and the person I shared it with shared it throughout the town and everybody knew. And it wasn't something I wanted people to know. It was very personal. Mm -hmm. And I would, that's something I would want people to know is that make, you know, to, to think about what you want people to know about your story or what you don't want to know and, and be very specific with your people about that. Yeah, that's great. And to be honest, all the information that you gave about how you got through it with being mindful and, you know, finding your joy, figuring out what are the things that you did before things kind of got messy. 
I mean, to be honest, I think I'm going to start doing that just <laughs> from hearing you. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to add? Just to, to add about the mindfulness is one of the other things I wanted to share is that, you know, when, when you have the opportunity to be with special people in your life, like for instance, you know, your, your significant other or your friend or a cousin, and you're sharing like a meal with them and you're having that time. And, you know, I don't, I, I, you shared about your mind being busy too. So maybe my, I get busy brain and I start casting out and thinking of, oh, I could have done this better earlier today or tonight I have to do this, whatever. Is like, I have trained myself to come back and stay exactly where my feet are planted and be with that person. Because what I always say is I don't want to miss the beautiful gift of now like right then in that moment. And once I trained myself to do that during special occasions, the realization hit me that it didn't just have to be during special times. It could be throughout my day to day. And so like if I'm out walking and I'm lucky enough to see children playing, what I'll do is I'll just turn my attention to the, the beautiful gift of their laughter, you know? And then, you know, like if I'm busy, I'm juggling so many things with uh, work, and a friend calls and she's struggling with something to just push my stuff aside for a while and be with her. You know, we're doing random acts of kindness, which I love to do because you get back tenfold when you do that. But once I train myself to stay in that space, you know, in my day-to-day -day life, there wasn't, it became so much more. It wasn't just four blessings that I was receiving each day from my bracelet. It became multiple blessings in throughout, the, throughout my day-to-day. -day. And that's such a powerful gift. So when I, when I share my story of mindfulness and people say, oh, I can't do that. I'm like, you can. I mean, you just have to go back to what I said earlier, the fundamentals, like sipping your beverage in the morning and just really tasting how good it is. That's the start of it. Or even just go out to a park and close your eyes and just listen you know, to the birds and the crickets and then the swaying of the trees or the leaves. And then just like open your eyes and then see and once you build from that little spot, you know, and you start to incorporate those things in your day, the, the rest will come. You just have to allow them to come. And that's really what I, what I like to share about what I've learned, you know, from going from anxiety and despair and despondency to incorporating that into my life um, and starting very slowly, but how you can have joy in every single day of your life. Um, and that's, you know, of course, you're going to have bad days. Of course, everybody does. Right. So, right. but you can find something that's joyful in every day. Right. Yeah. I, I love that. And I think that is probably the best thing somebody can do because let's say you are with somebody and you're thinking of other things, then probably the next day you'll be like, oh, I wasn't paying attention to what was happening right in front mm -hmm. of me. And I was with somebody I love and just enjoying some time and, you know, right. Exactly. I, 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 I love that. And I feel like I, you know, I need to do more, but let me tell you when I started and I did it, I made it a habit every day. It just came natural. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Cause I mean, we have choices, right? So I could, I could allow my busy brain to hijack my special time with that person, or I can choose, and the word operative word is choose, to be with that person in that moment. And, and then the next day you won't have, as you said, those regrets about you know, what you were, you were making your busy brain take over. 
Absolutely. Rosie, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story and, you know, doing what you're doing to help others, especially people who have gone through, you know, similar, you know, diagnosis of cancer like you, because, you know, when we share our story, it gives other people kind of permission to share their stories and seek out help. And I think that that's a wonderful thing that you're doing. Thank you. And thanks for having me on. And I think what you're doing is wonderful as well. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Me too. Thank you so much. That was Rosie Mankus, life coach and author of Find Your Joy and Run With It. To learn more about Rosie, visit my website, atstpodcast.com. That's the letter A, tstpodcast.com. There you can find the link to purchase her book. And you can also find my social media platforms at the top of my homepage. Rosie has also contributed to October's issue of Authentic Insider, which you can find at my website. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider magazine in your inbox monthly. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of the conversation. I'm Lori Lee Binstock. Take care.